A very good afternoon and uh, welcome back to this afternoon's session at uh, Cool Logistics and I hope your lunch provided you with the quality of food that Cool Logistics normally does um, and uh, you feel suitably refreshed and ready for our session. We've got a big session for you this afternoon with some great speakers. Uh, we're going to be talking about the future proofing and remote monitoring and control for the data driven a container supply chain, a very important topic. We've got five very good speakers for you. You can see on the program uh, uh, what they do. Um, because we're a bit short of time, I'm not going to spend any more time on introductions uh, and um, we'll, we'll go straight into the presentations. Ilika uh, will uh, deliver their value in 10 minutes. Um, and in true maritime tradition, if speakers go over, we'll charge them demurrage um, because uh, uh, this is a pro bono piece of work for me. I've got to find a way of earning some money somehow. Um, and so without further ado, I'm going to hand over to our first speaker. And I'm delighted it's going to be Hane Becher, who's the project leader of the Internet of Things program at DSCA Digital and the Container Shipping Association over to you and uh, thank you for being with us this afternoon. Many thanks uh, Steve, good afternoon, good morning uh, everyone. Uh, today I'm wearing my hat as the Transport and Logistic UNC FACT uh, Vice Chair, United Nations Center of Trade Facilitation and I uh, will be speaking about standards for smart container including reefers. A uh, quick presentation of myself, uh, I have more than 20 years experience in telecom uh, shipping domain, have been standards developer since 2006, started in the tele telecom domain in particular, working for non-tel networks and uh, co-authoring many publications about uh, how to improve supply chains. Um, definitely in this COVID period, uh, clearly there is some standardization efforts that are no longer simply nice to have, but are really necessary to make sure that we have a contactless uh, supply chain, including this cross supply chain. Um, we have the ECMR project, basically uh, the road consignment note, replacing the printed copy, and we have the multimodal international forwarding and transport COVID project, basically was launched to make sure that we can have a contact, contactless uh, uh, supply chain. Uh, I would like as well to uh, mention the cross supply chain track and trace that uh, main IoT providers are involved in it as well and has been launched in April uh, this year. And the focus of this uh, presentation will be mainly UNC fact smart containers. So uh, if you would like to know what is your container, um, did it arrive at the agreed on destination? The conditions of the good, a smart container is the solution. And uh, it's very independent from the transport mode and it's feasible now in standard manner. Uh, the smart container project was launched in October 2017, already delivered uh, the agreed on deliverables, which is basically the white paper explaining uh, the value of smart container for all the stakeholders, uh, delivering as well what we call a BRS, which is the business requirement spec, explaining what are the data elements and what are the use cases uh, and the usage of the smart container. 
and uh, we did as well as a team complement the work uh, working on the core component library we did really com complete this core component library and we did deliver really uh, a complete uh, component library covering both dry and reefer this has been released in uh, early this year 28 and we did complete as well the code list for relevant uh, data elements of this data model. Okay. Uh, the IoT container device basically could communicate with its uh, embedded sensors. All the sensors embedded in the IoT device communicating different uh, physical parameters. It could communicate with the reefer sensors as well as could be uh, the interface with the reefer container controller unit. At the end, the sensor is a sensor, regardless whether it's embedded, uh, removed, or part of the reefer controller. Okay, uh, this is uh, simply a code list showing that uh, if we define very well what is a sensor, we have a clearly a sensor uh, category covering uh, the embedded, the remote, and the, uh, as well as the reefer as well. Sorry for this. And uh, all this IoT uh, device giving the capacity of the sensors to be um, sharing their measurements remotely. This is a quick overview of the different uh, steps of the project, basically step by step. The white paper was basically to show the scope and promote the smart container, very high level. The business requirement spec was simply uh, entity relationship diagram. And uh, we did do that data modeling, which is very uh, generic message structure, agnostic from technology. And the current effort, which is uh, under development now is the specific API. One of the important uh, part of the MSC fact is the core component library. So we did really uh, work on enriching this uh, component library by adding the smart container messages. We did reuse many and we did add a new one, new ones, sorry. Okay, so basically we started by having that subset of uh, multi-model transport uh, coming from that core component library. And we did work on our smart container message, which is uh, technology agnostic. And then we have uh, the exact XML schema or JSON to have a clear uh, API to be able to deliver the smart container measurement regardless from dry or reefer to the whole ecosystem. White paper is available here, just sharing the link. The BRS is available here as well. Just a reminder, even CFAC deliverables are all uh, available for free, uh, new ITR, uh, very open uh, process. This is simply a screenshot of the data model of uh, the smart container covering again drive and reefer and you can have access to uh, the whole core component library on the UN CFACT uh, website 
just a quick overview. So we did really uh, add uh, sensor-related data elements and classes. We did uh, contribute to the geographical information, data element and classes as well. In total, we have added uh, more or less 120 new data elements. And we did uh, six changes to existing entities. And we did link the smart container to uh, multimodal transport uh, entities like consignment and transport equipment. Uh, we did work as well on different code lists. These code lists are uh, finalized, matured. Uh, this is a sample of a code list coming out of this project, basically a list of all the sensors that could be embedded within the sensor. I would like really to uh, acknowledge the participation of uh, and contribution coming from different experts. We had a very uh, wide uh, expertise, different background, which makes it really uh, good in terms of uh, process, collaboration, and uh, we believe that we did deliver a high quality uh, standards for smart container. And uh, I would like as well to thank you, uh, the core team that did work on this. So beyond all the active participants, we had really dedicated team working as editors, and we had a good support from uh, UNC FACT uh, Chair, UNC FACT uh, Secretary as well, Lance, Sue, Todd, Michael, Yaku, uh, very, very active team. We have been promoting uh, the smart container in general, the UNC FACT work in particular. We did uh, many publications uh, available on LinkedIn, available for free on different websites for the benefit of all the IoT providers, for all the stakeholders, really promoting the smart container in general and not uh, any specific uh, solution in particular. Very open, very looking forward uh, view. So it's more a vision of the perfect uh, smart container solution and the maximum value that we can get of the smart container uh, solution as well. Thank you very much for uh, your time. And uh, just a quick note that we are reaching out now to get this list and this data model adopted for different uh, organizations as well. Thank you very much indeed for taking us through uh, what it clearly is a very complicated uh, program with a, a great deal of um, inputs. Um, Hanane, if you're uh, still there because we've lost your lost your video um are you uh are you uh, um uh will uh, what i think we'll do is that we'll come back to you with some questions when we've finished so let's move on now to um to lisa darcy from yes Edison. good morning good afternoon all right um i'm going to go a little bit left field i think from from some of my um, peers up here on the panel but the discussion that I want to bring forward today really needs no introduction. We are in the midst of surviving a global pandemic, the scale of which unprecedented uh, in human history. And certainly despite our maturity, the world is facing a lot of new firsts, not least of which the global distribution program needed to deliver the critical vaccine or vaccines safely, efficiently, and most likely working across the uh, working against the clock, rather. 
it's sort of um, humanity's version of the amazing race, uh, but the prize here is not the million dollars. We're looking at global stability, the health and life of our population, refloating sinking economies, and for us here today, stabilizing global trade. So what are we up against? Where do we stand as an industry in supporting the distribution program? And relevant for this panel, what role is telematics and data services playing? Like many of you, I'm sure, I have been watching the vaccine development closely for the last few months. And although the numbers do change, there's on, on a fairly frequent basis, there are a few constants um, as we get closer to, to the goalpost. We know that we're going to be up against having to service a population of close to 8 billion people. So we're looking at approximately 15 billion doses of arguably the most stringently regulated, sensitive and challenging commodities in the modern world. Add to the equation the likely scenario of multiple manufacturers producing in multiple regions of the world, India, China, US, Europe, for example, so we do have geographical and infrastructure requirements to consider. And on top of that, we have tight deadlines. The World Health Organization wants approximately 2 billion people, or 25% of the global population, vaccinated by this time next year. And the vaccine, although tipped to be released in the first quarter of 2021, has yet to confirm date-night. UNICEF have touted the vaccine development as one of the fastest scientific and manufacturing leaps in history. So as the primary transportation and distribution industries, we also need to work fast to ready the supply chain. I can assure you that if you start looking at this too deeply, it's, it's easy to become overwhelmed with all of the puzzle pieces that we need to fit together to allow the path forward to the bigger picture. We are still riding out the far-reaching consequences of this pandemic. Economies have been hit hard, and as has key manufacturing and trade industries that help underpin it. As a world, we have been forced to scale down on any non-essential services, including the capacity and the infrastructure that ironically is now being called on and perhaps the most important product launch of our history. And as UNICEF notes, the fastest manufacturing leap in history. So where we're sitting today basically uh, is that we need to do a lot more than we've done before with a lot less than what we've had before. Which at first blush all sounds a bit grim and, and a lot to take on and work out. But the good news is, is that we do have all if not most of the pieces. We just need to fit them together in the right way. Given I can't solve world peace in, in 10 minutes or eight minutes, uh, the, the focus for today's discussion is the primary leg transportation modes, air and sea, and the two key parts of the global distribution puzzle, capacity and control. The discussion around the global distribution program has been almost entirely focused on the air freight industry as the primary main leg transportation mode. It makes sense given the speed at which the vaccine needs to be delivered and especially to high risk populations 
or populations where, with high saturation potential. Air cargo will indeed be paramount to reach the target of the 25% laid down by the World Health Organization. It is well documented that an estimated 8,000 jumbo jets will be required to, to deliver a single dose of the vaccine. With a population of 7.8 billion, and current projections noting two doses per person, we are talking about some 15,000 flights that will be required. It is also worth noting that given the precise and specific temperature control requirements for pharmaceuticals, not all aircraft will be suitable. And lesser again for emerging vaccine strains that due to the speed of the development are less mature or stabilized, needing extremely specialized temperature management of minus 70 to minus 80 degrees Celsius in some cases. The current global distribution program is working on the assumption that only a single dose is required. But, e oh, excuse me. but even with these conservative estimates, IATA's chief executive only recently warned of the frightening capacity challenges within the air cargo industry on the back of severe downturns in passenger traffic that resulted in scaled-back fleets and carriers placing many aircraft into long-term storage. Challenges become even more problematic in developing countries where unlimited accessibility and infrastructure impede air freight. Noting Africa as an example, with an arguably high-risk population estimated at around 1.2 billion, where IATA states explicitly it would be impossible right now due to the limitations in cargo capacity, complex border crossings and the sheer size of the region. Transporting vaccines from labs to everyone who needs them across countries and continents requires a system of refrigeration that works in every step of the journey. A single transportation leg or storage port that isn't temperature controlled will break the so-called cold chain and can decrease the potency of the vaccine to the point that it is rendered ineffective. Real-time monitoring currently is tricky within the air freight given restrictions on Wi-Fi whilst the plane is airborne and communication technology limitations in general when above 10,000 feet. Although temperature and condition logs can be manually accessed once the pellets have been landed, not only is it retrospective, it provides only a snapshot at a single point in the journey and not the end to end shipment. The World Health Organization also estimates that up to 50% of vaccines are globally wasted every year, a large part because of the lack of temperature control and the logistics to support an unbroken cold chain. At the scale of COVID-19, this spoilage rate could waste potentially a billion vaccines, which even if valued at non-profit cost of $10 a vaccine, represents a staggering wasted investment. And the cost is important to note. Whilst potentially this is a little off colour to raise given the humanitarian uh, piece of it, studies indicate that a general average, as a general average rather, air freight costs are up to or can be up to 80% higher than sea freight. With economies already under strain, we need to consider financially sustainable medium to long term strategies. Regarded earlier on today as a potential backup, I believe that integrating sea freight into the global distribution strategy could be a necessary part of the puzzle. 
Although longer trains at times, for sure, and lead times in some cases, they cannot contend with the speed of air freight, especially in the early days after the vaccine or vaccines are released, sea freight does offer significant advantages and solutions. Capacity will not be an issue. There may be at times a discussion that needs to happen around allocation and prioritization. Are carriers willing to prioritize a, a shipment of vaccine over avocados, for example? But as a general statement, the capacity is there. Established global networks and supporting infrastructure could potentially offer solutions to problematic or developing regions, Africa as an example. We may see some operational constraints, no plan is perfect, namely bottlenecks in origin ports, and more so in situations where manufacturing locations are not close to a mainline port and thus reliant on feedering or barge or rail infrastructure. Additionally, plug capacity in smaller terminals may need to be considered. Current equipment imbalances is another challenge. However, these are all challenges that carriers, terminals, and cold chain stakeholders are well versed in, given the long exposure to the seasonal ebbs and flows of the perishable trade and the ability to quickly mobilize countermeasures. Building sea freight into the equation as the significant other could critically improve the chances of a successful and timely global distribution program. Leveraging global sea freight networks and established refrigerated trade lane competencies while versed in carrying high value pharmaceuticals, the strengths of sea freight lighten the burden of capacity constraints, cost, and crucial access into the developing nations. But most importantly, these enabled trade lanes can offer a secure and unbroken cold chain. Remote monitoring or telematics enable this unbroken cold chain that safeguards our supply chain. Having right time access to critical operational and conditional data throughout the entire shipment, in, in some cases it is about control. Being able to react within a short time frame to the, in the event something goes wrong, units at a terminal not plugged to power, for example. But it is more than that. It's about traceability and compliance. Traceability is the ability to provide information on the physical flow of the products, product condition, data, and real-time demand information, among others. This is all critical data when managing temperature-sensitive products on a global scale. Traceability also serves to alleviate risks around the product security, tracing the vaccine from origin to consumption, validating the vaccine quality, and most importantly, the authenticity will be paramount given concerns around tampering or counterfeit vaccines that may infiltrate the distribution. However, even with enabled telematic solutions and the ability to trace and monitor shipments, issues will arise and problems still happen. Whilst we don't yet have uh, confirmed product stability data for the vaccine, we can make assumptions based off the pharmaceutical um, benchmarks and existing GDP requirements. Compliance with these requirements is not only necessary, but enforced. Having right time visibility into the cold chain allows for when things do go wrong, the cause can be 
very quickly and efficiently remedied and the risk removed. Being able to determine breakdowns in the process quickly means that the incident can be quickly identified uh, and although not necessarily recoverable, preventative actions can be taken to stop it reoccurring in time for the next shipment coming down the pipeline. Whilst there is no single reefer monitoring or telematics solution today that covers all stages and components in the cold chain, we are seeing a maturation in our solutions that allows us to bring fragmented data sets together, consolidating and securing data streams to enable an unbroken cold chain. We have the building blocks in place to structure and organize data from multiple sources and to secure and standardized APIs. This becomes particularly relevant when we consider that all pharmaceutical companies have their own specific requirements and processes. So having framework in place that allows for a unified data model removes the burden of managing multiple independent data sources. Secure APIs would allow for temperature and operating data from multiple data sources to be fed directly to a carrier's endpoint, integrating with their own systems. Some pharma companies are also looking at APIs as a way to integrate this product condition data into their own systems to support serialization and product validation requirements. As we work through secure APIs, it lends to casting an eye on how we would enable blockchain and bringing more counterparties into the fold. Customs clearance, government, health authorities, and as referenced in the slide previous, supporting GDP, GDP compliance. So that's a mouthful when you say fast. With all our businesses in the cold chain, transportation, cargo solutions, healthcare, just to name a few, Emerson is very deeply involved and committed to working with the industry through these challenging times. Please reach out to us or me directly if you want to discuss anything further I've covered today or how our solutions can help support your business needs. All right, back to you, Steve. Thank you. Lisa, thank you so much for a, a, um, a really important uh, presentation and, it, and I can sense the weight of responsibility that you, you feel for a project such as this. Just a couple of questions. Have, have you, um, uh, and I'm sorry if you don't have data with you, have you um, any ideas to how many shots of vaccine you could get into one container and could you just remind us about that what are the temperature control requirements um at this stage to be quite frank uh, i haven't been able to source data around how many vials would actually go into a sea freight container um so that i actually can't answer off the off the top of my head right now um, but in terms of the temperature specifications what we are seeing is actually three set points that are coming to light uh, obviously the two to eight which is, is is fairly well known in the industry we are seeing some discussion around the minus 20 to minus 30 range and of course recently uh, the minus 70 to minus 80 degrees um, it, it's again a assumption but we could reasonably assume that allowable off power time will be within a 30 minute bracket give or take maybe an hour depending um, and at a minimal temperature deviations or excursions, one to two degrees. 
Oh, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very, you need very sophisticated equipment, and and um, I mean, uh, and uh, you you make the comment that only some airlines have the facilities to to cope with it. It, it, it sounds as if it's going to be quite a challenge for the aviation industry. I, I, I definitely think so. I mean, I think it, you know, it's it, it's a no-brainer in a way that, you know, from a logistical standpoint, it's it's exceedingly complex. Um, I think the discussion I want to bring forward today is, you know, as mentioned, there are absolutely complexities for for the air industry, um, but to that point also for for sea freight as well. And I think it's important that we start having. The discussions now on, on how as an industry we can support this because I do see a very pivotal role for, for sea freight um, within the distribution challenge. Yeah, no, no, absolutely and I as somebody that's operated a shipping line to Africa in the past I understand your comments about the challenges of serving the African markets where the aviation hubs uh, and, and temperature control facilities uh, uh, are not the same as they are in other, other parts of the world so thank you very much indeed for that um i'm sure we're going to get some questions uh, and, I, um, and i hope that all logistics will provide you with a forum to reach out to the industry when you need its help um so thank thank you very much indeed for that so let's let's move on and let's move on to um don miller and by by the way to um, um all of you uh that uh signed up and i see we've got the most number of delegates that we've had uh, so much so far today um our speakers thanks to technology are speaking to us from the usa from canada france denmark and the uk and if we've been in in live in in conference we you know they'd have all had to fly in to do this so it's certainly been a, a good event in terms of reducing our carbon footprint that's for sure uh and uh, everything is being um, taped or recorded, so there will be bits that you've missed that you'll have access to all the presentations very quickly after the event. So let's move on now to Don Miller, who's speaking to us from Canada, uh, who's the Chief Sales and Marketing Officer for Globe Tracker. Don, looking forward to your presentation. Uh, thank you, Steve, and uh, thank you to be a part of this group. I'm uh, really excited about the presentation today. I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, what happens. We all talk about the smart container industry and how everything is picking up and it's really hot right now. A lot of deployments happening. The real question is what happens after you sign that contract? What happens when you get that deployment? What are the next steps in the evolution of what happens with the technology and how data plays a key role in this? So Globe Tracker, uh, we started off, we're almost a 10-year-old company, but in 2016, we refocused our efforts on, um, on cold chain specifically. So we're completely dedicated to cold chain and cold chain management. In, in, in that sense, we're now with 14 shipping lines under contract, probably one of the largest deployed solutions in the market relative to the IoT smart container in terms of numbers of, of lines that have adopted the technology. So what happens when the line says, okay, I'm ready to buy, I'm ready to install? So you take the next step. What do you need to support that? Well, you know, right now with 40% of all reefer traffic going through Latin America, it's, it's, it's no uh, coincidence that we have lots of service partners down anywhere from Chile, Colombia, 
Costa Rica, even through the Americas, uh, you know, into Miami and so on for for global deployments because it's it's necessary. It's a necessary evil to try to get the devices and be in the spots on the ground where you're going to have to deploy for the perishable cargoes or the critical cargoes that the customers need. So we look at different options for that. And of course, you want to make sure you have a presence in China as well so that you're able to uh, get these installs at factory because that lowers your cost and the overall solution. Uh, so we have fully trained teams on the ground in China. But you know this brings up some challenges and it brings up some opportunities as well. Um, so especially during coronavirus with travel restrictions and people quarantining, it's never been, uh, it's not an easy feat to, to continue to deploy uh, solutions globally when you have this kind going on. So having people on the ground in all these areas at this stage is, is really critical to the growth. So, you know, now that we talked about installing, here's some of the things that, you know, some of the lines are going through when they start looking at the data. They start looking at what they're getting, what their value is. What you want to be able to do is give them access to previously unavailable data in a way that decommoditize their industry. Because right now, reefer business is still a tight industry. They're still highly competitive. And of course, there's, whenever there's data involved, it actually takes a decision away from cost, which I think is really where the industry needs to go. It's about data-driven value, not about cost, right? So with the data, you're talking about providing a stickier bond with you and your customers through the data, because the data is addictive. We know this quickly that you know, when we're, we're in a monitoring center or something and the cell tower goes down in some part of the world and customers lose data, they pick up the phone or the email and they email right away. Why? Because it's become indispensable to their business. So, you know, we need to be able to get to that point where we're taking the data, using it in ways that benefits all the customers. So we've taken a few uh, snapshots that I'll show you later in this presentation about some of the things that the customers have asked for, some of the things that we're developing in order to better serve the customer once the IoT device is installed that we think for the betterment of the industry will be a huge opportunity. Better understanding the customer usage patterns around the reefers so you can provide a complete history of the reefer. Alarms, shocks, the trade routes they've taken, the predictive PTI, some power usage uh, metrics can all be used in cutting edge analytics. So reefer owners can now provide data back to their customers, whether it's for a fee, whether it's as value added services, or whether they choose to just do it to increase market share. All of these are opportunities for reefer owners. On the data analytics, the potential services and predictive systems, along with artificial intelligence, what, what we've been doing is we provide monthly health reports on the reefer fleet. The first thing that once someone deploys their fleet is Senior executives are asking, I've made this huge investment, you know, millions of dollars. <laughs> How's the fleet doing? And you need to be able to answer those questions. Uptime of devices, devices that are functioning, those that aren't, what the fixes are, how to intercept a device that isn't functioning, what your processes are around return of that device. It gets far more complicated than just here you go, put this on and, and uh, it'll, it'll work fine forever. The, the, the fact of the matter is there's a small percentage of devices that will at some point fail in the, in the fleet and you're going to have to come up with ways on the ground to swap those out and, or have them repaired. Analytics on container dwell times and positioning re re efficiencies can also be built into the analytics packages that you could offer. 
you know, providing maintenance and repair alerts, advisory services to help improve fleet uptime, maintain reefers in a better condition, and of course, elongating their useful life. When you look at reefer history, you can automate flags for reefers that qualified for maintenance and repair based on the shock and damage events, even compressor use time, and even alarm codes. End of warranty notification systems let reefers get checked ahead of the warranty expiration so it would save the reefer owner money. These are all back-end tools uh, that, that are used to save the operator money. GlobeTracker deployed based on the fact that we came in with a model to save the line money, not a, line, not a method to monetize the data. So they're, they're two different things. If you can show them how they'll save the money, monetizing the data is you know, the cherry on the cheesecake. If you can put, provide some analytics on power consumption, so you can see which, which, which reefers in the fleet are consuming the most energy. Uh, there's, there's some huge savings available in that relative to even bunker fuel costs, because if you can know how much power a reefer takes when it's on a ship and how much power that fleet is taking, you can actually predict your overall fuel consumption and or predict what you'll need to buy in order to satisfy your bunker costs at, at sea. Uh, the ability to provide sustainable and green services, reduction in energy consumption, or compiling big data designed to produce predictive analytics, ongoing development and savings, and reduce where the overall reefer fleet. When we go into a customer, we always look at a few things. There's different divisions within each company, and what do they want to see? So we've broken out roughly, you know, 10 positions or so that detail what each, pro each pro person in the program wants to see and then what we provide is a data visualization for that role. So this way, when you're not just looking at one system, you're actually looking at the same system but 10 different ways. And this allows you to provide and engage the stakeholder and show them exactly what data they need to see and really remove the data that they don't need to see so that they can run their business the same way they've run it before. Right. So if I take this executive and CSO board, they want the dwell time, the zones, they want the equipment, they want, certainly they want the fleet utilization data, they want to understand the fleet health, things like that. So we've broken out all of these by stakeholder and we target those to do data, data visualization pages and, land, and role based landing pages for each one. Booking data integration. So we have some lines that obviously, you know, they have their own IT teams, which are vast, and they'll run their own programs. And then we simply uh, connect an API up to them to share data with them on their back end. And then we have other lines that are smaller or need assistance, don't have a lot of, uh, don't have a lot of IT resources to be able to even deploy the solution properly. So in this case, we actually take the booking data and bring it into the system and allow them to manage each reefer by booking, which is what they're used to doing, instead of managing it by asset, which is when you've hooked up the asset, you've got an asset ID all the time. But if we match the booking number with the asset ID, now we can bring in all the import-export, full or empty, the location, proof, uh, you know, proof of delivery, the temperature set point, the commodity, all of that can be brought in, and we can then run from the platform they can run it just like they would run their business. And this is all tied into their back end as well. Booking details. So you can drill down. So now what we've done is we've taken the, the breadcrumb trails, the GPS locations, as you see in the map below, 
We've added, along with the reefer data, showing the set points to supply the return, whether they're alarms, and then we bring the sensor data in if you wanted temperature, humidity, accelerometer information, and again, the commodity type, it's all there, the pickup uh, number, the pickup date, et cetera. And this is a full integration of the reefer data, how it would look into the data from a shipping line so that they can manage it right off the platform. Dwell time analytics. So obviously understanding where containers have been, how long they've been there, and what it looks in their supply chain versus in transit. We do have several lines that actually work with this pie chart on the ground to make sure that they're turning the equipment as much as possible to keep it out of the depots and, uh, and terminal zones so that they're constantly moving because a, a box and moving is a box that's making money. So they've uh, actually been quite effective at using this as a tool to be able to increase utilization of the overall fleet. Real-time API monitoring and event-based notifications, a big mouthful for sure. Uh, but this is exactly where we see it going. Uh, you've heard Hanan speak, you heard Lisa speak about APIs. This is exactly what's happening. The request times, the uh, base notifications. So once an alarm comes in, it's actually sent by API right through to the customer. Um, currently, we pull the reefer every 30 seconds for alarms. So it's actually quite, quite a fast service. And, and you can see how request times and counts are all monitored. And soon you'll get a metric of where your high growth uh, requests are coming from, where they're not. And so you're going to be able to really streamline your business, but offer your customer a better control and a better service through the API requests. Role-based utilities, depending on your position in the supply chain. So we're talking about, again, like those 10 roles, how we're going to be able to visualize screens for each stakeholder and show them the counts of um, you know, when records are created, the assets, the serial, the firmware, at what stage their fleet is at, for example, this is one of the examples. Interactive tools, so sharing and publishing custom control variables. So you're able to now take the data, start utilizing it, and count asset records when they're received. And you can see different spikes and low times depending on the activity in the business of the customer. So extremely high active times and low active times and again, you're coming up with data metrics that are then mineable over time to improve the overall operation and the line can make predictions on the fleet utilization. So I really wanted to you know, stop it there and just say that the way the lines have come along, it's, it's really become more a data game than it has really necessarily been about the device. The device is that, that necessary evil, it has to make its way onto the box. But once it does, it opens up a tremendous amount of opportunities on the data side. Thank you. I'll Don, back to you. Thank you very much, uh, Don, for taking us through um, through all of that and for um, uh, how you work with different shipping lines with different capabilities and making sure that they maximize the, the benefits of your, of your system. Um, it's much appreciated. Now, uh, without further ado, let's move on to um, Al Tammer, who's Vice President and General Manager of Container and Port Solutions at Orbcom. Um, and uh, we've had support from you and your colleagues at Cool Logistics for some time now. And um, anybody that can put up a presentation that shows the launch of their latest rocket has always got a bit of a show stealer. So I hope you're going to be a little bit kinder to our other speakers today. 
thanks for those words, uh, Steve. I appreciate that. And uh, this might be a call to, to raise uh, the volume on your, your audio. I know I, I've sounded a bit faint, but hopefully uh, you can hear me uh, quite Yeah, for the, for, the, for the benefit of uh, everybody else that's um, watching, I mean, you are coming through very faint. I know that we had a look at the uh, this earlier on, and we haven't been able to do much about it. So just pretend you're listening to your favorite heavy rock record and turn the volume right up so that you can hear Al properly. Yes, I appreciate that, uh, Steve, and I'll do my best to uh, to enunciate here and hopefully make the, the audio experience uh, so better. Thanks, sir. Thank you for the introduction, and, and why don't we just uh, to get into it. Um, as, uh, as Steve said, uh, you know, we've been here at uh, Cool Logistics uh, since the beginning uh, here, here at Orbcom. And just a little bit about Orbcom, we began as a, uh, a, a provider of connectivity, satellite in particular, um, more than 25 years ago. And what uh, quickly happened was we transitioned to a machine-to-machine -machine provider with a particular emphasis on the cold chain. And uh, the reason was the, uh, the largest consumer of our uh, satellite data was actually uh, different elements of the, um, the cold chain. So there was a nice synergy there, which allowed us to enter the space uh, you know, towards the turn of the century. So as a result, uh, we've been doing cold chain here at Orbcom for a long time and have a uh, quite a mature offering when it comes to the various assets of the cold chain, reefer container, which you know, we're going to emphasize today, of course, but also reefer trailer, genset, the vessel, the, the key part of the, the cold chain. Uh, chassis and, and a suite of complementary sensors. Just a little bit of, of Warpcom by the numbers of what you know what you can see here is that uh, we have a you know a very um, uh, you know, a vast deployment of a, a technology here in the cold chain with over 700,000 subscribers, over 500,000 reefer containers uh, growing uh, are uh, we're currently utilizing the Orbcom technology, 25,000 uh, sets and uh, 115,000 dry containers uh, as well. So all of that represents more than uh, 7 million messages uh, being uh, generated today uh, by the uh, Orbcom solutions that are focused on the, uh, the, the marine uh, transportation space. So this harkens back to, you know, like I was just saying, and Steve was mentioning, uh, you know, we've been here at Cool Logistics for a, a number of years, and I feel that this is the evolution of, uh, you know, this panel's uh, forum. You know, many of the, the speakers uh, and their respective companies have been here side-by-side um, uh, -side with Orbcom talking about the, the topic of digitalization of the, the reefer container space, and uh, there are, you know, deployments uh, going on now, but we still have, a you know, just a small percentage of the, uh, of the industry outfitted, and so what we've seen, and, and the, the good news is, is we started out a number of years ago saying, you know, if the technology would be, you know, deployed and, and, and very hand-in-hand uh, hand along with that sentiment was uh, the question of, well, why? What are, the, what are the use cases and what are the benefits? And that, uh, you know, finally understanding was, was garnered there and it transitioned, okay, this is something that provides benefit to the industry. So it becomes a question then of, uh, of when. And so that uh, now I feel has finally, you know, transitioned to the now. Um, we do have, you know, deployments that are uh, underway, we, uh, but more importantly, we're seeing other uh, drivers in the industry uh, as well. The, the formation of the DCSA, you know, with the, the largest shippers in the world, you know, focused on a, a digitalization and the, uh, you know, the release of, of standards from that group, you know, this year on the, on the vessel uh, connectivity. And there will be uh, various releases and hopefully uh, unified efforts when it comes to a data standard. So we heard about the, the UNC fact effort that's underway. There are others as well uh, from the Container Owners Association and of course uh, DCSA itself. 
And so uh, essentially with all those uh, drivers, um, we essentially are finally, I believe, at the point of, you know, now is the time uh, for technology uh, adoption. And it's good because the, the industry here, this sector of the, the cold chain um, is, is lagging behind. Uh, you know, we'll, what we see is that when we go through the, the cold chain, you know, the, the container uh, portion is a, is a very large and, and significant portion of the chain, but it's actually the one that is the, the least, uh, uh, has the least adoption of, of technology. Uh, what we uh, have experienced in the past is, of course, the logistics, you know, traditional hurdles um, uh, around the logistics of the deployment have been uh, a bit of a barrier. Um, there's also, of course, the, the cost, which it, it can never be uh, minimized. But uh, more recently, as uh, we have uh, focused on digitalization, there has been, uh, you know, concern about, well, how do I make sure that I adopt, you know, the right technology? And, you know, once again, uh, as this uh, session, you know, is focused on, uh, is it future-proof enough? And so uh, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, a little bit more. Essentially, I think it, what it boils down to, though, is, you know, this industry isn't a one-size-fits-all uh, model when it comes to uh, technology. And so um, what we need to ensure is that we as uh, vendors here, here at WorldCom, we work with our, our customers to make sure that uh, they uh, adopt the technology that's best uh, for their use case uh, in particular. Um, you know, the release of the, the standards, I, I hopefully has uh, eased some of the fear around adopting the, uh, the wrong technology, as now there's more of a, an industry-wide approach in terms of what type of communication standards should be uh, adopted. Uh, on the vessel, for example. And yes, as I said, the the, uh, the portion of the, the marine space is uh, is lagging behind. You know, it, it's uh, it's a very simple analogy to give, but we uh, consume information every single day of our lives, and we're able to make you know very simple decisions about you know when we're going to you know sit down to dinner based on you know tracking using uh, IoT uh, in our daily lives. So it's. It's very, uh, it's very interesting that, you know, when we come to such a, a key portion of the supply chain that uh, we have a lag behind in terms of giving that, that visibility. And there's a hunger, you know, for data uh, clearly out there from the, the beneficial cargo owners to uh, the recipients of, of, the, uh, of the goods themselves, the, the store owners and whatnot, to know where things are and be able to make uh, decisions and prepare in advance when there are delays or there are exceptional events. And so, of course, that's what um, you know, that's what IoT brings to the space. And when we just take a high level look at the, the cold chain, you know, uh, you know, uh, itself, what, what we see is that, you know, we need the data so that we can apply uh, those things that are at the top bar uh, to that data, right? It's not just about, you know, okay, I have the, the temp uh, and I know where the location of the reefer is. Um, but with, you know, large lakes of data and, and, and large data sets that have been accumulated over time, we're able to uh, apply all of our uh, vast computing power to, uh, you know, use advanced algorithms, machine learning and artificial intelligence to help not only maintenance and repair um, type decisions that benefit the, uh, the shipping line, the container line themselves, um, but also uh, decisions that uh, help, as I said, eventually the, the uh, end, more end users further down the chain, such as the uh, the store owners, the warehouse, uh, you know, suppliers, the, uh, the wholesalers um, who are expecting the deliveries of those goods and expecting them to arrive, you know, with integrity. What we can see here, you know, quite clearly uh, is, you know, the ocean. And we've talked, uh, you know, previously here at, at Cool Logistics of that being sort of the, the black hole when it comes to data. And so when we talk about reefer containers, um, you know, digitizing them, 
hand in hand and part and parcel of that discussion is the is the vessel portion. You know, uh, it's not good enough to just uh, be able to accumulate data when uh, those containers are traveling uh, on land. Uh, the portion on the vessel is a key not only to uh, achieving uh, efficiencies uh, for the uh, for the, the, the ship owners, but also for providing that uh, real time visibility back to the people on shore to know the status and health of that uh, of that reefer and make sure there are no exceptional uh, conditions uh, while it's there at sea. And so, you know, what we see here, in, uh, and I'm in New Jersey, as Steve mentioned earlier, um, so, uh, and here Orbcraft has a, a fairly large presence when it comes to the, the portion of the cold chain that goes uh, over the road. And what we've seen is a, a more, in a more mature sector of the market, just what can, what can be uh, harnessed by the, the vast accumulation of data. And so, you know, when you look at <clears throat> some of the, uh, the uh, integrations that happened, uh, Dom just uh, spoke about the integrations that need to happen, you know, from the, uh, the shipping line customer who adopts this uh, technology, you know, doing the, the integrations with the backend systems and the booking systems uh, to give that uh, comprehensive view uh, to that uh, customer. But the data also needs to be uh, propagated, you know, beyond just the, uh, the, the shipping line and their uses. It actually has to go out to the greater supply chain. And so what we see in North America over the road, for example, is that sharing of data amongst these various disparate parties that give uh, a clear visibility, you know, to the status of the shipment uh, beyond just where it is, but when its arrival is and tying it to uh, various compliance documents, uh, driver information, um, all to provide a, a comprehensive view, which is essentially what we're trying to get to. And so we talk about many things about blockchain and the end-to-end the -end supply chain. It can only, the linchpin of that right now is a, is reefer container. And so uh, we need to get to the point uh, in this industry where we can actually, you know, harness this data and share it, you know, more openly. I think we have uh, gotten a little bit uh, away from uh, being so reticent to, to share data. I think that, you know, uh, the, the, the uh, environment has changed a little bit. We are in a competitive uh, space, but we uh, have seen the value of being able to, to share that data, you know, with uh, other parties uh, beyond just the, the data owner. And that's clearly what we're seeing here in North America over the road. So looking ahead, you know, the, the topic of the, uh, of the session is about the future proofing. And, you know, the, one of the, the largest questions I get from, you know, prospective customers, you know, is, uh, is how, how do I ensure that I'm selecting the, uh, the proper technology? And, you know, that, uh, decision has to be uh, based not only on your outlook today, what your your current needs are um, for uh, your your operation today, but also looking forward of what's coming uh, down the down the road. And nobody wants to make uh, an investment, of course, in, in a, um, a technology that's going to be uh, obsolete, you know, before the, uh, the the life of the the reefer container. That's the ultimate goal: is trying to line up those life cycles. And the key to making a decision, and this is uh, really at the, 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 you know, the of our industry today, is uh, being interoperable. And, and that has many uh, different meanings. Um, there, as is represented here on the panel today, there are many different telematics players. And so that means there are various different devices and, and systems that are uh, out there today. Um, in every industry, there's a, a reluctance to be tied into just the one vendor. So I think you have to make sure that you are uh, choosing a solution that is uh, ready to accept data and uh, various devices uh, and uh, various other systems. I think you also have to um, look at the, uh, who's not represented here on the panel, but the, the OEMs themselves who have entered the, uh, the telematics market as well. 
um, those uh, you know systems are, are new, but obviously going to bring a, a lot of the power uh, and gravitas to the market because they're backed by the actual manufacturer of the reefer. So potentially you know, delivering data sets that might be exclusive uh, to those uh, OEMs. Um, however, those OEMs can only offer a, a shipping line, which generally has a, a mixed fleet, meaning reefer containers that come from many different OEMs. Uh, those OEM telematics devices can only offer a solution for those uh, OEM containers. So that doesn't solve a customer's uh, you know, uh, entire use case. Selecting, uh, once again, something that's interoperable, that's able to not only accept data, but also control you know, those various telematics devices uh, is key. And some of that uh, you know, uh, also has to do with uh, the ability to uh, communicate with systems that are set up, meaning from a communication uh, technology. And I think there uh, is the vessel, and I'll talk about that here once again in the, in the next slide. Um, standards compliance, of course, is key, and we talked about you know, some of the standards that are being output by the, uh, by the DCSA uh, and others. And uh, I'm here almost at my last slide, Steve, so appreciate that. Um, so uh, that's also key. And if we have certified, tape, uh, certified safe type device uh, standards coming out by the uh, IMO as well, also very important you know, to be aware of. And of course, you have to be forward looking. And that doesn't only mean, uh, well, do I have the latest technology, right? Do, do you need 5G in the device today? Uh, probably not, right? Um, if you have it, it is a nice to have. Um, but that's not uh, really the limit of what forward-looking is. I would say forward-looking in terms of, you know, today we're talking about reefer container, but every shipping line also has, you know, dry containers and other assets out there. So when you go back to interoperable, you want to ensure that you're getting a solution that's going to be interoperable with the technology that's put on those other containers as well, not only from um, the, the integration of the data and the visibility portal, um, but also, once again, from the communication standards. So to drive it all home, and this is also where the uh, uh, DCSA published their, their recent standards, this is a, you know, the, the key for being uh, interoperable and how you should uh, select your solution. At the end of the day, uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all uh, market. You have to make sure that you're selecting a technology and a solution that's going to uh, best suit your use case. And when you look at the standards that were put out for the vessel, it's interesting because there were many different technologies for communication that were ratified as part of the, that standard as accepted, right? But even when it comes to cellular, there was a, a call out for 2G versus 4G. Bluetooth and LoRa, and this list out, out here is not uh, exhaustive. So when you select your technology, um, you don't have to go and adopt one that's gonna cover the, the whole spectrum. And this is a, you know, speaks back to the one size fits all. What is your use case? You uh, normally have vessel sharing agreements. You want to make sure, and this goes back to interoperability, that you're gonna select a solution that not only covers your uh, own uh, reefers, but that it's gonna cover the reefers that are owned by your vessel sharing partners. So there has to be compatibility you know, across those technologies. So the vessel system that is, uh, is selected needs to uh, be able to accommodate for those different technologies. If you have a, you know, a uh, one uh, vendor, I'm sorry, one shipping line that's uh, employing LoRa, but their guest reefers all use cellular, that obviously provides a, a, a gap in the visibility right there. So when you employ that, uh, that vessel solution, it has to be modular so that it could be expandable if needed to accommodate for those uh, other reefers. Similarly, you can have something that's fairly universal like 2G. Most of our telematics uh, devices today that are uh, LTE also fall back to, to 3G and 2G. And uh, 2G is something that, so it's very universal. 
and also penetrates very well uh, on the vessel. You know, it, it doesn't seem sexy to say I'm installing a 2G network on the vessel. That's old technology. Wait, what are you talking about, Al? That can't be future-proof. But the truth of the matter is that all the telematics devices today do fall back to 2G, and 2G propagates very well on the vessel. So it tends to be a very universal uh, type of technology to adopt. Um, it's interesting that, you know, one of the, the largest shippers in the, in the world, um, you know, who's on their second generation of um, vessel uh, technology, uh, started out with a 3G system, you know, some years ago. And as they upgraded to the next generation, they decided to employ 2G. And it's for those reasons that uh, I just mentioned, and of course more. But that's one of the key linchpins, something like a, you know, a 4G, uh, a 4G system, similar to like Allura, can be fairly restrictive and not necessarily universal and plug as play uh, as others. So that's just a brief uh, outlook into, you know, some of the, uh, the choices that, that you have out there and uh, some of the, the different factors that are key and really what it means uh, to future-proof a, a solution when you're making a decision today. So good news is, you know, the time is now, as I said earlier, we're not in the if uh, or the when, we've finally arrived at the now and the technology is there. and. Uh, me and Orcom are here to help you uh, with those uh, decisions. So, Steve, back over to you. Oh, thank you very much. It's amusing to see that when we're talking about technology, I'm using bits of paper to hold messages up to my camera as, a, as the way of communicating. It just shows that some habits die hard. Thank you for your presentation. And because we're running rather late, uh, we've got a couple of questions. Thank you for your questions. I'll come do come back to those um, in a minute. But I'm going to move straight on to Thierry, who's the Customer Operations Transformation Manager at uh, Traxons. And so, Thierry, uh, if you're ready, uh, over to you. Yes. Hello. Thank you, Steve. It's, uh, it's really a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Um, let me just introduce Traxons very shortly. Uh, we are 100 employees. Most of them are based in, in south of France. We are manufacturing um, IoT devices for dry and reefer containers. But we are also proposing some digital solution. And um, most of the time it's to give to the customers the complete visibility of their asset anywhere in the world. One, one of our main objectives is to accelerate the digital transformation of the supply chain industry. This is a big challenge, and I'm going to give you some example of what can be done to achieve this goal. Um, refer deployment is going on, is in progress. It's slow, can be complex. By example, when we have to import our products in some countries, but refer are equipped more and more, and we are starting today to collect some data. Let's call them big data, even if it's not yet so big. Okay. In another hand, we are having more and more demands from our customers to track and monitor their assets. Shipping line are asking for information during shipments, like ETA, but they are also asking for, for refer advanced notification on temperature variation, on power of duration in some places, etc., etc. So this is the reason why Traxans is, is start start to develop some some added value services using refer data. Uh, 
Let's take two refer shipment case and see what can be done with that. Okay. I hope that everybody knows what is a hot stuffing. Um, it's like put some, some boil oil in your fridge and you will see that your fridge will start instantly uh, to, 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 uh, to cool down. Um, so, so to cool down. On this graph, okay, you can see that uh, this refer span three to four days just to cool down the cargo. Okay. Um, height energy consumption is the first consequence of it of this hot stuffing. But we we may see some premature machine failure when this kind of thing is repeated over the time, okay? Another example is the cold chain uh, interruption. Uh, cold chain interruption is, is, is quite easy. A, uh, a full refer is power off for a long period in a terminal, um, by example, and there is an impact on the container temperature but there is also an impact on the cargo itself. Um, the ambient temperature, the container age, the isolation, and some factors can be should be considered in our analysis. But in the first step, we can use the, the, the hot stuffing data models to identify severe cold chain interruption. As there are similars between, the, uh, there are some similarities between the two models. Okay, let's see now what can be done with the data. First of all, we need to clean up the data. This is called the cleansing. Um, this is called the cleansing, yeah. So we have, we have to move, we have to transform the, the, the big data to smart data. We need to define some parameters to, to start digging inside this bucket, okay, this big bucket. Uh, we are going to look after the delta between the supply and return temperature. Uh, we also we, we are also to segregate the data, by example, to apply this this research to the to a shield uh, cargo, because it's it's maybe where the impact is is quite um more frequent we are identifying identifying some time frame period when the refer is full and when the refer is on for sure so next phase is to group all individuals i i, I mean individuals it's all uh, time period where there is something wrong with the, where there is some delta between the the the, the, the supply and return temperature so we have to, to group all the individuals between distinct population. This is producing this strange graph here. <laughs> it's uh, with a lot of uh, earthworms. You, you understand earthworms? It's, 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 a, it's a small snakes, right? This is strange. But, but in fact, 
when they are long with the same colors, it's quite good news. <laughs> it means that we are identifying some group of individuals, some clusters with the same um, variation of, uh, of temperature between the supply and return. Uh, this graph is a multi-dimensional data set represent, represent in two dimensions. The first time that I have seen this graph, it was, it was very strange for me, but it's quite simple, really. It's really quite simple. So with this, this um, first step, first phase, we can start to do some statical uh, analysis. We can try to, to figure out what are the temperature dispersion, what are the slope, of the return because uh, the return temperature is having a, a certain slope so we we can try to work on it and then this is used to fuel a machine learning system i'm not going to 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 spend too much time on it but it's quite intelligence this is where we, we you can start to see some intelligences in in the data so there is some machine learning program to help us uh, to identify um, this kind of uh, uh, events, okay? So we are fueling this machine learning system with, with our data. And then after some iteration, because this is, this is, this needs to be done multiple times uh, with, multi with uh, a lot of data, we are able to identify automatically after six to 12 hours uh, hot stuffing or after six hours a severe really severe cold chain interruption event okay so what can what can we 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 um so what can we do with this so we are using smart data to create uh, added value services, which is going to deliver immediate and tangible value to uh, its stakeholders. All actors are connected. It's challenging for industry. Industry. We can see today that BCO are demanding more and more information data, like feedback during shipment, Shipping line are pushing to publish refer data online to create intelligent notifications, specific alarm, etc. This is a big change for the industry. Complexity of these changes are higher than the complexity of the technologies used to analyze data. It will have an impact on the relationship between all different actors shipping lines, freight forwarders, BCO, uh, refer mach machinery manufacturers, terminals, vessel crews, rep even repair depots, custom trucking companies, etc. At the end, it will develop a collective intelligence between all the actors. And this is why it's so interesting. Thank you.
Jerry, thank you very much for um, providing the final presentation this afternoon and uh, and being concise and uh, uh, keeping us to time. Uh, some some interesting takeaways there. Thank you very much indeed, and thank you to all our speakers this afternoon. We've got a few questions. Um, there's one from um, Vicky Vandenbroek from uh, MSC uh, um, asking if the data is based on real time um, and also when the reefer is at uh, open sea. And Hane um, talked about the different um, sensors and, and, and how the reefer is connected. So I've, um, I'm not sure she's still here, but um, perhaps um, I can ask you, you. OK, cool. Is that a question you'd like to answer? Would you please just repeat the question? I'm sorry, I did miss that one. That's okay. Um, Vicky Vandenbroek of MSC is asking if the data is based on real time and, and, and um, also when the reefer is at open sea and the inference, the inference being about connectivity, I guess. DCSA just released uh, the standards for connectivity on board the vessel. Yeah. Yeah, well, yes. Can, can they? Can the reefers still communicate when they're at sea? If they are using that right infrastructure as defined by DCSA, definitely yes. Okay. Perfect. Thank you, Don. Would you like to add something? You need to unmute yourself, Don. You, yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah. No, I, I, I think, no, I think I'm fine. There's nothing I need to add to there. Okay, so, the, so there we are, Vicky. Um, the, uh, the reefer talks to the te technology on board the ship, and the information is transmitted to, um, uh, back to the uh, back to the um, central monitoring point. So the, the, it's a continuous process. Um, there was a note from um, uh, Andy Connell uh, for for Don. He said he, he doesn't quite understand API monitoring. Um, he says surely once. Um, API has been created, it either functions or it doesn't. Right, so <laughs> a APIs are two-way, right? So it's a two-way system from the back end where a shipping line could send a command to a reefer that, that is done via API, and it's not, it's not done through our, our traditional platform, let's say. So right now you could log into our platform and say, you know, change a set point. Well, they can actually do that through the back end, through the API in a two-way fashion. So what typically would happen if they were receiving alarms via the API, they come through right away and the shipping line now sees it active just like we would see it on the platform. So it is, it is, it is an interactive part of, of the solution. And we're even talking about going step further. So when you have a, a geofence where you need an activity to happen or your container reefer is leaving a geofence, you could then have a triggered API call to change the reporting cycle of the unit to satisfy the use case for that particular shipment. And that's all automated. I hope this helped to answer the effectiveness of that type of system. Yeah, Don, thank you for that. That's really helpful. And I'm gonna bring in your colleagues. Uh, another question here from Andy Connell, I don't know, Andy, if ever stop coming to Cool Logistics and asking questions, it will be a much poorer place. So thank you for bombarding us uh, and keeping us on our toes. Um, you make the observation that the team seems centred on fleets and owners, um, not shippers and cargo owners. I mean, I guess 
I guess really you tend to be focused on the people that are paying your bills. Um, it's an automatic reaction, but you, you're, I quite agree with you that you know that we haven't really talked about shippers and cargo owners, or they may have been referred to generically. Um, Thierry, is that something you'd like to address? Um, I didn't catch exactly the, the question, but okay. for sure, we 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 um. Uh, when I talk about BCOs, uh, I, I, I try to talk about uh, shippers and, and we have more and more um, discussion with, with, uh, with the shippers um, about the way we are going to monitor the cargo. So this is, uh, this is yes, this, for Traxxans it's quite important to have this feedback from, from the shippers, from the consignee uh, about uh, uh, the way uh, the data monitoring is is helping. Okay, Thierry, thank you, and I think Al would like to come in. Uh, please unmute yourself and speak out, Al. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Uh, no, I, I I was trying to present uh, exactly that, uh, you know, in a quite accelerated way during my presentation. Yes, I think there is a, a a vast thirst for uh, for data, you know, when it comes to people further down uh, stream than just who my direct customer would be, which would be, of course, the shipping line. But yes, that the uh, whether it's a 3PL or, or a BCO, there are all kinds of, uh, you know, independent trackers being put on a, a container, right? So in some cases, there are, are multiple um, uh, technologies that are employed creating different silos of data. So it, the way to overcome that, you know, is, I think, when you have the, the containers all outfitted with technology, that's step one. But step two is then, as I represented on the flowchart, then actually sharing that data beyond just the, your internal purposes so that, uh, yes, shipment uh, uh, delivery times and expected times of delays and integrities of the, uh, the shipment for governmental compliance can all be achieved, um, you know, in, a, in an end-to-end -end fashion rather than having these, uh, these silos of data or worse, having people hunger for the data they can't have access to. Okay, and uh, and keep keeping it in strict rotation. I'm going to come back to Don now with this this next yeah. the ne next question. Um, yeah, Steve, I just want to comment on what Al said. I mean, right now what we're deploying is infrastructure, and that infrastructure has certain radios, whether it be BLE or LoRa or whatever, and those radios can enable you to talk to sensors that are in the pallet, which is really what the the shipper is concerned with. They want cargo level. So I, I can see some solutions coming out in the near future that involve all of that, whether it's door sensing for particular trade lanes or even temperature sensing for high value and perishable cargo. Okay, and the, the uh, question from Patrick Malanga from MSC, he says, you know, we're all trying to absorb the information you're presenting today. For those that are not involved in this, um, you know, these questions are important. He says the tracking information is available at the service centers that the service providers, i.e. your platforms, or only, or, or is it integrated into the line's tracking systems? Yeah, it's actually, it's fully integrated into the line's tracking systems. Uh, I can tell you that we're the back-end support, obviously, for Hapagloid Live. So they run that whole platform based on the information that comes from Globe Tracker devices on the back-end. So it's entirely a Hapagloid platform that they run to their customers, but we're supporting it with all the information and the data on the back. Okay, terrific. All right. Well, um, and um, 
one question come in from Johannes Naninga at Guangzhou Port Europe BB. Um, are there examples of blockchain created for specific reefer flows? I guess that means trade lanes, assuming that the reefer flows like farmer food, etc., need more and more secure supply chains. I could take that one. Uh, currently to date, there's a few trials that are ongoing around this. Uh, there's a couple of companies, one in Australia, there's an, another couple of companies in Europe that are attempting to start to, to, to do this. Obviously, uh, we do see that, you know, the platforms like Cargo Smart and, and, and Intra-E2Open are also delving into that, that whole piece of the blockchain and, of course, trade lens. I think we're, I think as providers here on the panel, we're all in, we're all critical to the blockchain piece because what we do is we take the human factor out of the data. We're all providing sensors and machines and devices that are that don't care who you are. They don't. They 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 report at, at the right time, always on time. So it's it's really with blockchain, what you put in is what you get out. I I have a feeling that monetizing that fully outside of guy, big guys like Walmart, where they're forcing their suppliers to do it, is is still remaining to be a challenge, and that's why it's taking so long. Okay, thank that, thank you for that, Don. Um, I can. See that we've got a comment from Steve Alerts, which, um, um, uh, if we were um, in in a physical event, he'd be holding the microphone and reading out. So let me do that for him. He's saying at uh, Foodcare Plus, we believe customers are willing to pay for data and monitoring, if but only if it fits a broader control tower concept, so that the benefits of collecting data become apparent. Furthermore. The different data sources should challenge each other, preferably on a blockchain platform. More transparency, more collaboration and problem solving should be essential. Uh, but who will offer that control tower? I'm, I'm not sure whether that's a rhetorical question or not. Um, but if anybody, um, you, you don't have to respond, but if anybody would like to, then uh, uh, as we start to wrap the session up, please do. I'll only say the 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 What's happening with the blockchain is they're trying to absorb data from devices like ours, but they're also taking in data from EDI messages. And right now, the biggest challenge would be uh, comparing the two and coming up with a with a system that actually compares the two to be able to make the plus and balances work. Um, you know, situations around geofencing, for example, where you know a container is driving by a port or terminal and then it says it was gated in because it fell within a geofence just off the corner of the road when it really didn't go in. So you're going to still have these uh, back checks, if you will. And yeah. so, you know, I can see the system saying, um, you know, data is accurate pending, you know, whatever it is, 24, 36 hour approval, right? Because you're really going to have to solidify the data and it won't be as real time as you might need it as long as you rely on EDI. Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting point, actually. Thank, thank you. Now, I, I'm, I, Al, um, uh, you've got your hand up. Please go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to make a couple of comments, and yeah, I think you know we've seen um, examples of, of blockchain, as Don was saying, done in a Maersk in particular, some over the road here in North America, as I as I mentioned also. Um, but uh, it, just on the last comment that was made, it's interesting. Um, I think the fact that you know people are saying they're willing to pay for the data goes to show just how starved they are for the data in this uh, sector, right? How there is a dirt of uh, visibility 
you know, to people downstream from the shipping line. And so I, I just wanted to kind of emphasize that, like that goes to show how, how starved we are for the data. And then I'd say looking forward, as we do digitize this space, then I don't think people are going to be willing to pay for it unless it's an actual premium, uh, as it also was uh, embedded in that comment. Just right now, there's such a thirst um, that, that I think that's what's driving the, the need. Like, we're actually willing to pay for it. Please give us data. <laughs> yeah, no, you're quite, quite right. And thanks to, thanks to Steve for that uh, comment, oblique question, really. And, and maybe um, next year we can get some more input from the the people involved in the final mile delivery and the supermarkets themselves about this issue about data and what what they'd like like to see because i'm sure it would help them um the more that they knew about the condition and eta of their cargo with their um with their um, ordering process i'm going to have a final check-in with lisa um if i may um you've had a chance to to listen to um the discussions going on um, in this sector with the shipping lines and what, what what are your as you what are your takeaways from this afternoon in, in terms of the involvement in shipping lines and what you've heard and, and sorry steve in terms of the just just, just generally where we've got to in terms of our discussion on technology and integrating integrating system does it do you do you go away thinking that the, the shipping lines are at the, the, the right level of development to provide part of your solutions or have you got any further messages for it um i, I think absolutely I, I mean you know i talked a little bit about um the the, the pre-existing framework in in place today and, and where i do see sea freight as as a major or as a, a very um required contributor is because of the trade lane competencies that, that are in play. So I think that the shipping industry as a whole certainly has the, 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 the necessary pieces and infrastructure to support this. It's, it's just bringing, bringing those pieces together and, and having the discussion. Um, but, you know, absolutely the industry overall has made leaps and bounds in, in, in the last few years. And, we're at a level now where we can start discussing things like data integration, third-party APIs, irrespective of data sources. Um, you know that th this is th this is all part of the of of the building blocks, right? So yes, I I 100% think that we have the, the capability and the competency in the market and the industry to to support this. Good. Well, thank th thank you much. Thank you very much for that vote of confidence. And you know what you know where we are when you have some further questions for us. Um, so thank you all to our speakers. Uh, quite um, uh, uh, quite a complex technical session to to pay attention to. So thank you all of you delegates that have been with us throughout the day. I, I hope you've had an interesting, stimulating, and varied day as as much as as I have. Uh, so thank you to Thierry, to Lisa, to John, to Al, um, and uh, and of course to Hane, uh, who who opened the session for us. Um, uh, and um, uh, and to all the other speakers today, and of course our our sponsors. And uh, I shall hand you back to the delightful Annalise. Thank you so much, Steve. And yeah, the final thanks goes to you. Uh, you have successfully delivered the first day of the Cool Logistics virtual event, and it has gone pretty well. <laughs> I know we've had some technical issues, 
but we have brought people in from all over the world and we are trying desperately to keep this community together and I certainly feel at the end of day one that we've made a brilliant start. We have two more days to go. Um, I hope to see all of you um, for the next two days. We do still have the awards ceremony this afternoon in half an hour, 4.30 UK time, British summer time. Um, it is apparently summer, although the weather's telling me something different still. Um, so we will see hopefully all of you in half an hour and also tomorrow. I just want to, I, it's going to look very odd, but I am going to singularly give Steve a round of applause and thank everyone for your patience and your support. Thank you so much, everyone. We really appreciate it. We will see you in half an hour for the awards and tomorrow morning for another full day of sessions. Bye bye. Thanks for the excellent speakers. Well done, everybody.